and welcome to Sports All Day with TJ. I'm your host, TJ. Today we're just going to be doing a MLB recap of the last week or so, um, diving into the news about Walker Buehler missing the rest of the season at least with surgery and what the Dodgers can do with um, their new rotation questions and obviously the Fernando Tatis Jr. suspension that has been the focus of lots of stories over the past few days and the National League and American League wildcard races. So I'm going to start off with the Dodgers rotation questions. Just before we begin, I am a Dodgers fan, so a lot of this podcast will be geared towards the Dodgers, but also mixing in other teams, the whole MLB as a whole, but I'm a Dodger fan, so there may be a little bit of bias towards the Dodgers, and that's why we're really diving into their rotation. So, Walker Bueller is out for the season, at least as of this point, with um, his throwing arm going under elbow surgery. There haven't been a lot of specifications, but he did already have Tommy John surgery in 2015 on the same elbow. So there's speculation about what surgery he's actually getting as no concrete information has been released at this point on August 16th that I know of so far. So he is going to have surgery performed on his right throwing elbow on August 23rd and that leaves the Dodgers in a bit of a predicament with their rotation. They were relying heavily at the trade deadline on the thought of Dustin May and Walker Buehler both returning to the rotation for the playoffs. So they didn't really go out and get that big arm at the deadline like Pablo Lopez or Frankie Montas, Luis Castillo. So it looked okay at the deadline. I don't want to say it looked good because as a fan, obviously, without having to figure out all the payroll and the team dynamics and how to actually get that player in the future, I want the big splash as a fan. So I don't want to give up the future, but I want to be good now. So I wanted a big arm. I didn't necessarily want Juan Soto at the deadline. I thought that that would be giving away a lot of the future. Well, yes, he's a generational talent, and you'd have him for mm, three pennant races, two full seasons. Um, I just thought that it, the Padres gave a ridiculous amount away for him, and even more ridiculous if he does sign somewhere else at the end of his two years. So... Well, they definitely won the deadline, in my opinion, getting Josh Bell and Juan Soto. They really lost a lot of their exciting future, so we'll see how it plays out for them. Even more concerning now with Tatis Jr. suspended for at least 80, well, 80 games at least um, the rest of the season this year, depending on how far they make it in the playoffs next year and stuff. But... Back to the Dodgers, so they didn't make a huge splash at the deadline, which was questionable at the time and looks even worse now that the main 
pitcher that they're hoping to get back is not going to be returning this year. So right now they have a decent rotation, even though they have three major injuries with Walker Bueller starting rotation, Walker Bueller, Dustin May, and Clayton Kershaw all on the injured list currently for starting pitchers. So Dustin May will be making his return on Saturday, so Dave Roberts says as of the recording. He'll be starting at the Marlins on Saturday, which is exciting since he is returning from a UCL tear in his right elbow that required Tommy John surgery. And so far, well, in 2021, he made five starts with a 2.7 ERA and 23 innings before he got injured and was out for the rest of the season. And in his AAA rehab assignment, he pitched 16 innings with a low ERA of 1.69 and three runs given up. So he looks like he's been returning in strong form and has already pitched multiple times of multiple games of at least five innings. So he'll be ready to dive right back into the rotation when he does make his start on Saturday. So that's good for the Dodgers, considering they're getting back one of their two people they were really hoping to get back. It's not good that they're only getting one out of two, but it is good that he hasn't had any setbacks to this point. The rest of their rotation has been overperforming so far for what they were expected to do going into the season. Tyler Anderson and Andrew Heaney especially have been overperforming their expectations to start the season, but it hasn't been streaks of hot and cold. They've just been overperforming as a whole season, so hopefully that trend will continue since it's been at least, I believe, three quarters of the season at this point, so it looks like they're pretty locked in their ways. Tyler Anderson more so than Andrew Heaney as Anderson has made 20 starts with a 3.54 ERA and only given up 10 home runs and 25 walks. So he looks really good right now. Andrew Heaney has been injured. He returned after the All-Star break and has made just seven starts but has a one point 16 ERA with 31 innings pitched and given up one home run, 10 walks, nine runs. So if he can just continue to stay healthy and pitch as he has been pitching, then they should be good on Tyler Anderson and Andrew Heaney. Julio Urias has been not as dominant as he was towards the end of the season last year and really just the whole 2021 season, but he has still been very good this year with a 240 ERA and just 15 home runs given up. So he has been good. And then Clayton Kershaw is a little bit of a question mark for the postseason rotation because he's gone down at least twice now this season with a lower back injury. And so the real question is just if his back will hold up. He seems optimistic, as does Dave Roberts, that he will return in full swing for October and 
full power and full innings and everything like that. So he should return as strong as ever in October, which they really are counting on since the Bueller injury. But he's been pitching well when he's not injured this year, and the Dodgers made some moves after Bueller's moves within their organization. No trades, obviously, but after Bueller's injury was announced, they made some moves by bringing Bobby Miller up to AAA, Oklahoma City, um, yesterday. And another pitcher a little bit under the radar is Ryan Pepio, which he hasn't been astounding in his major league career so far with five starts and a 392 ERA, but... In AAA, he was very dominant with 8-0 record and um, only eight home runs given up in a 227 ERA. So hopefully if he just adjusts to the majors, he's only had five starts. So he's only pitched in five games, and if he can just adjust to the majors a little more like he did in AAA, then he could be really helpful for the Dodgers to have in the postseason and just for the stretch run of late August and September, whether they be playing the Padres and Rockies a lot, and they can never seem to really beat the Rockies, so that will be um, helpful if they can beat the Rockies this year in the stretch run. But the real pitcher that has been carrying the Dodgers with Tyler Anderson and Urias, and, but Tony Gonsolin, who has a 2.24 ERA, 116 inning pitch. He's second in innings pitch, but better than Tyler Anderson in ERA and record in hits and runs. And Tyler Anderson has one less home run, but Tony Gonsolin and less walks. But Tony Gonsolin has just been more dominant than Anderson this year. They've both been very, very good, but Tony Gonsolin has just been carrying the Dodgers rotation and he just needs to stay healthy and continue pitching as he has and that will be a check mark for the Dodgers in the postseason so the rotation is deep enough that the Dodgers could still be a very dangerous team they just need Kershaw and May to return healthy from their respective injuries and for the rest of the rotation Anderson, Gonsolin, Heaney, Urias, um, Pepio, Bobby Miller, and AAA could really light it up in Oklahoma City and maybe make a couple appearances in September and just give Gonsolin and Anderson and Kershaw some rest if Kershaw returns in September. I think he'll return in late September to make a couple starts before the postseason starts in October, but Bobby Miller could eat some innings up, maybe be like a seventh inning guy, 6th, 7th inning guy if the starter goes down in the 5th or something. So it'll be interesting to see how Bobby Miller does in AAA and maybe eventually the majors. So I think the Dodgers rotation will hold up okay in the postseason as long as they don't lose anyone else and everyone stays kind of at the level they've been pitching now. So I mean, they do have the league's lowest ERA as of August 16th, 4.30 p.m. when this is being recorded. So, p.m. Eastern time. But, um, 
they do have the lowest ERA, so their pitching is a little thin with Bueller out and Kershaw and May still injured. Well, May is making his return very, very soon, so he's not injured anymore, but he is still technically on the injured list, so it's a little thin, but at the same time, it's not, which is kind of weird to say. It's a contradicting statement, but they have a deep-ish rotation if everyone continues pitching around the same level they have been, and no other major injuries occur. But the Padres' postseason is a little more in question than the Dodgers. As most of the baseball world knows, Fernando Tatis Jr. was suspended three or four days ago at this point for um, performance-enhancing drugs, or PED. So he can't play in 2022, which means that he really is disappointing his clubhouse at this point. He had his motorcycle accident in the off season that did not go under surgery right away, which prolonged the recovery period, and he was seen just not really always listening to team medics and officials as he was videotaped taking swings before he was supposed to when the communication hasn't been good as reports have said so he's just been a little all over the place but now we know where he's going to be on the bench for the next 80 games that depends when he's going to return in the in 2023 season depending on if the Padres even make the postseason, which we'll talk about later, and how far they go in the postseason. Best case scenario for the Padres and Tatis is, well, they win the World Series in like seven games so that they have the most games without Tatis and they still win the World Series. Seems highly unlikely right now, but you never know. Some teams get hot and they win the World Series. Like, look at the Nationals in 2019. Pitching got hot, hitters got hot, and they just won in 2019. So, um, you never know what's going to happen in the playoffs, but it does look unlikely that the Padres will advance the World Series. So, best case scenario for them at this point is just play as many games this season without Tatis so he can return earlier next season. Um, One thing that seems to be making people upset about the suspension is that the drug that he was suspended for, Clestable, maybe pronouncing that right, maybe not, but it doesn't get used to treat ringworm, which he claims he took a medication that contained it to treat a case of ringworm. Now, his mom did post um, a picture in which It's a picture of him, and he clearly has ringworm. So, no one's saying that he didn't have ringworm, though. They're just confused as to why he took cholesterol to treat ringworm, as it's not really used to treat ringworm, as multiple medical professionals have said. So, that's interesting that he... Potentially, not going to say that he lied, but he potentially lied about why he took the drug. So that's kind of annoying people, but from the MLB standpoint, it's just a bummer to lose such a young star 
that's really well liked across the league and fans and audiences. It's just a bummer to lose him for 80 games for like a a drug offense in the MLB. So he's just a really big ambassador for the game and he's a fun player, really good when he was on the field, which he hasn't been a lot with the injury and now the suspension and he was injured a lot last season. So he hasn't been on the field a lot, but when he was, he was electric and people just loved to watch him. So it's a bummer for the MLB because they're losing a young talent that brought in views and revenue and money. So it's unfortunate from their standpoint, but they do have to enforce the rules. So it doesn't matter if you're a star or not. Everyone, same sentence. So... From the Padres standpoint, it's just really frustrating. First you have, as I already talked about, the motorcycle accident and the lack of communication and just the overall lack of communication. Yeah, so it just has not been a good season or year for the Padres and Fernando Tatis' relationship as they weren't aware of his positive test until it was released to the public, essentially. They found out a couple minutes before everyone else found out. So, um, he hasn't initiated any calls. He's released a statement, but hasn't communicated well with the team, reports have said. So, the team is just frustrated with him because he's made a lot of avoidable mistakes that have cost him the, 20, the entirety of the 2022 season. He opted not to have surgery, which um, lots of team medics told him to get. He opted not to, so that um, backfired in the end because then he got more hurt. And there's just been a lot of little things that he's done that have led up to huge frustration in the Padres clubhouse, as you saw from Mike Clevenger's um quotes and A.J. Preller's quotes. I don't have them up now, but I can get them up quickly. Um, he just, A.J. Preller especially was upset, kind of wondering if, um, the ringworm story was true. You don't really know, but, um, A.J. Preller said, I think from our standpoint, obviously he's a great talent. He's a guy we have a lot of history with and do believe in. But these things only work when there's trust both ways. End quote. So, he also said, quote, But at the end of the day, it's one thing to say it, and you've got to start showing by your actions. End quote. But that's all I say on A.J. Preller's quotes. It just is a lot of, um, you can just see the pent-up frustration coming out at Tatis because of these mistakes that he's made that were very avoidable and so he's really hurting and letting down his team by this suspension but as for the Dodgers I mean honestly I have nothing against Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah I'm a Dodgers fan so when he does hit a three-run home run to win the game or like is kind of confident in the field and makes like a great play it's annoying to me just because I'm a Dodger fan I'm like well I'm sure I'd love him if he were on the Dodgers but as he's on a 
division rival team, it's more hard to like him. But I have nothing really against him. He seems like a fun, nice person and everything. But from the Dodgers' standpoint, they're not upset that Tatis is gone. Like, it's a really dominant player out of their division now for at least the rest of the year and into next year, however many games he's gone next year, depending on the Padres this year. But, um... They just, the Padres have to move on without him. An optimistic way to look at this is they haven't had Tatis all year. Like, they and they've been doing okay. They aren't leading the division, obviously, but the Dodgers have just been dominant in the division and against the Padres specifically. But the Padres have been doing okay. They have been winning games. Their acquisitions at the trade deadline, Soto and Bell and Brandon Drury, the more of a looked one, but still a very good offensive player, look a lot better now. So they're patting themselves on the back even more about their pickups at the deadline because of this new suspension news. But they've been doing fine. Machado just won NL Player of the Week award. Um, He's been doing really well this season. Jerickson Profar has been doing well. And then, as I've already said multiple times, but Soto and Bell injury. So their offense just needs to generate some more runs. They have to score to win because their offense is just so good. They haven't been scoring that much in games. They've been, they lost to the Nationals, which you just, you got to win those games. I know the Dodgers haven't been great about winning games that are must wins, but the Padres need to be better, especially since they're in the wild card race. The Dodgers, to, how they respond to the Tatis news is really just keep chugging along as they have been in winning and maybe hoping San Diego misses the playoffs. Sorry, Padre fans, but it would be better for the Dodgers because they'll miss more time next year. So, um, he'll miss 30, 36 games next year if the Padres miss the playoffs. I think that that's correct. It might not be to... I haven't checked it, but um, I think they have 44 games remaining, so that would mean 36 next year. But the more games he misses next year, the better for the Dodgers. So they just keep chugging along. Hope San Diego maybe misses the playoffs. But the Dodgers have a 17-game lead, and they have an average of 46 games to go for both teams. The Dodgers have 48 to go. The Padres have 44. So, yeah. If the San Diego was to miss the playoffs, he would mix 36 games next year. But we'll talk about the Padres' playoffs chances in a little bit. But it's un- it's super unlikely that San Diego catches the Dodgers in the division. It's just not going to happen. There's 46 games to go for both of them on average. And the Dodgers have a 17-game lead, show no signs of letting up. If anything, the Padres look like they are falling further and further behind just in clubhouse chemistry and frustration and the new news so it's kind of reminded me of the 2021 season where it looked like it was going to be a three-way division just race to the end and then the Padres just blew up in the last half of the season in 2021 and the Giants ended up winning the division beating the Dodgers and ruining their streak or whatever but um 
yeah, the Padres kind of blew up in the end. So it'll be interesting to see how they react. Well, we know how they reacted first off the bat to the news, but how they then respond in their actual on-field play. But, yeah, the wild card race, which heavily, um, not connects, but is heavily connected to the Padres as they are in the midst of the wild card race in the National League. Right now, the three wild card teams, as of the recording, are the Braves, who are up six and a half games, looking pretty good for that wild card spot. And then the Phillies, who are up a half game to the Padres, who have the third wild card spot. The Brewers are two games back from the Padres to challenge for that wild card spot. And the Giants are back five and a half games. I don't really see the Giants making a push for the wild card, but if the Padres do go don't react to the news well and don't respond well on the field, then and they kind of blow up like they did in 2021, then the Giants and the Giants get on a hot streak. I could see them at least making the Padres work for the wild card in the end, and the Brewers certainly will only two games back. Except the Brewers now play the Dodgers six more times, seven times total, in ten days. The Dodgers have already won the first game of the two series that they'll play against the Brewers in 10 days, um, 4-0 yesterday. And I kind of have mixed feelings on this series as a Dodger fan and uh, not Padre fan. So usually I'd be like, yes, like Dodgers beat the Brewers. I kind of remember those 2017-2018 series where it was like, hmm, the Brewers, when Yelich was like still MVP form with Bellinger, it was kind of like... The Brewers are really good. Like, they're kind of scary to play in the playoffs. I, I always got worried when the Dodgers played them in the playoffs. So, usually be like, good, like, beat the Brewers. That's perfect. But now, the Brewers and the Padres are competing with the Phillies for the last two wildcard spots. One team will be left out of those teams. So, possibly the Cardinals if the Brewers take the division, but right now it's looking like the Brewers, Phillies, and Padres will be competing for the third and the second and third wildcard spots. So, if the Dodgers beat the Brewers, let's say, five times out of seven, the Padres' lead will grow if they can win four times out of the next seven games. So, it's kind of hard to root for the Dodgers against the Brewers right now because when Dodgers win, it actually helps the Padres. And if the Brewers win, it hurts the Padres. And the Dodgers have such a big lead that, honestly, a couple losses in a 14-game division lead wouldn't really hurt them or stress them out, really. So, I mean, I'm going to want the Dodgers to win because the problem is they want, knock on wood, that they make the World Series. They want... Um, the advantage if they make it there and um, so they're going to want the advantage in the postseason which goes to the team with the highest winning percentage so they have to keep winning if they want advantages in the postseason but it also be in the Dodgers better favor to eliminate that offensive fire firepower team of the Padres 
So, a little bit of mixed feelings about the Brewers playing the Dodgers seven times in ten days, but nothing you can do about it. And the Dodgers do play the Padres nine more times. So, the Dodgers just have to beat the Padres, and the Brewers have to win when the Padres lose. So, um, the Giants don't really have a chance in the wild card. They're 12 games behind the Braves, but only... um five and a half behind the third wildcard spot. So like I said, if they can make a push and the Padres stumble a little bit, maybe they can make it close. But with the Brewers, I personally, as a Dodger fan, hope the wildcard is Phillies, Brewers, Braves. Again, sorry, Padre fans. Nothing against the fans, but the Padres are just a scary team, which is honestly a compliment. They're just a scary team in the playoffs, and I don't want to play them in the playoffs. So, that's what I hope happens in the wild card race. Now, the American League wild card race, I have less opinion on as the Dodgers. My team and the teams I really focus on are in the National League, not the American League. But I do have family members that are Red Sox fans. And so, right now, the AL wild card teams are the Mariners, who are up a half game to the Rays and the Blue Jays, who are tied for the second and third wild card spots. So the Twins, the Orioles, first of all, the Orioles, who before the season could have seen them potentially being in the postseason this year? I didn't. I'm just going to straight up say I did not see them being in the postseason this year, but they have a really good fighting chance too. The trade deadline moves with their chance for the postseason were interesting, getting rid of... um pitching and fan favorite Trey Mancini but past that they still have been continuing on just fine after losing um two important pieces I'm blanking on the pitcher's name so let me just look at that quickly um Jorge Lopez Yes, Jorge Lopez was traded by the Orioles to the Twins for four pitching prospects. But past that, it was interesting moves considering they were still making a postseason push. But um, they are just uh, one and a half games behind the Rays and the Blue Jays for the second and third wildcard spots. And the Twins and White Sox are only two games back each. The Red Sox are five games back, kind of like a giant situation. If some teams in front of them were to stumble in the home stretch and they made a real run, then they could compete for a third wild card spot. I don't really see them doing that right now, but you never know. Crazy stuff happens. So they are only five games back. I shouldn't say only. There's only like 46 games left in the season, depending on what team we're talking about, but on average, about 46 games. So they would have to go on a really good hot streak, and a bunch of teams would have to really falter at the end. But you never know. Right now, the Red Sox and the Orioles are playing, well, in the future, the Red Sox and Orioles are playing a three-game series on August 19th. So the Orioles will want to win that to try and get to the wild card and push the Red Sox back without, out of reach of the wild card and really just kind of put an end to their... Mm, I don't want to say put an end to their hopes that aren't really there but um 
the Twins and the White Sox are playing the Royals and the Astros right now, so it won't really make a dent in other teams' AL wildcard um, race, but they just will try and win and keep winning so that if other teams lose, they move up because the AL is really, really close in the wildcard. So the Mariners are playing the Angels, same thing. They just have to win and maintain their lead. And um, Red Sox are playing the Pirates, just trying to win. The big games in the AL wildcard right now are the Orioles and the Blue Jays play tonight and tomorrow. They were, they're playing a three-game series. The Orioles won last night, but lost two to the Rays in the previous series they had a couple days ago. But the Orioles and Blue Jays, if the Orioles win tonight, then they will move into a half game of the third wildcard spot. Actually, no. Mm, they might move into the third wildcard spot. The Blue Jays and the Orioles will be essentially tied for the third wildcard spot, depending on how the Rays do tonight. So, the Rays play the Yankees today and tomorrow. They beat the Yankees yesterday, which we'll dive into the Yankees' struggles in a couple minutes, but um, the Rays just have to keep winning, and they will maintain their spot as long as no one else goes on a hot streak as they begin losing. So, no one's locked in to the AL wildcard like the Braves are in the NL wildcard race. So, it will really be a close finish to the end and interesting to see how it plays out. But, as we were talking about with the Yankees and how they lost to the Rays, that's just a continuation of their prolonged struggles that they've had over the last um, August and end of July. The Yankees in their last 10 games are 2-8, and eight, and they do have a 10-game lead in the AL East, but if they keep struggling, the Rays, who, if they beat the Yankees in the next two games, will only be eight games behind, the Yankees keep struggling, it could be close in the end. I don't see them losing their lead completely, but the Rays could make it so that the Yankees have to keep going full speed to the end of the season and kind of not be able to coast as much as, let's say, the Astros or the Dodgers um, towards the postseason. So um, it could be good for the rest of the AL playoffs if the Yankees pitching is a little more tired out and their offense is frustrated because the offense is only scoring, on average, in the last 10 games, 2.9 runs per game, whereas they're giving up 3.8 runs on average in the last 10 games. So giving up more runs, on average, they've won two games in the last 10, so hasn't been every night, but on average giving up more runs than you score does just not translate to winning baseball. But on the other side of the New York um, baseball script, the script has flipped. So the Mets got beat really badly last night, 13-1 against the Braves, so... um, that game wasn't really a good indicator of what they have been doing, but in their last 10, they have been 8-2, and two, so exactly just flipped from the Yankees. They have scored 4.9 runs on average per game in the last 10 games and only given up 1.7 runs per game in the last 10 games, which translates to really good winning baseball, unlike the Yankees. So 
the Mets look scary to Dodgers, to the Dodgers, and also the Braves and um, all the other NL teams in the beginning of the postseason. So the Mets look good. I'll be interested to see what happens um, when the Mets do play the Dodgers. I'm forgetting what date. Um, when they play the Dodgers on August 30th through September 1st, they have a three-game series. So that will be a fun series to pay attention to as it will give kind of a clear indicator um, going into the last month of the season, the regular season, as to because there's been a lot of chatter about how the Mets are now the team to beat in the NL and all baseball. And the Dodgers have just been so consistent all year winning. They've kind of been pushed aside as the Mets have made a push at the um, in August. So, I mean, the Dodgers have still been really good and they have been getting attention and coverage. But the Mets with Jacob deGrom coming back have just gotten a ton of coverage of their latest winning streak. Though the Dodgers just did win 12 in a row. Streak was broken up by the Royals, but still 12 in a row. So, yeah. The New York baseball teams have been polar opposites of each other in the last 10 games and also extended past those 10 games. That was just a good sample size. And so, yeah, Mets look scary. Yankees, not so much. We're going to see if they regain their footing. The NL wildcard race is really just between four teams right now. Well, three teams for two spots. The Braves look pretty set. The AL wildcard race is really up for grabs for about mm, five teams for three spots. So that will be really exciting as it comes down to the home stretch. Unfortunate Fernando Tatis suspension for all of baseball as a whole. More specifically, the Padres, less so the Dodgers and teams that will not play the Padres for the rest of the season and possibly in the postseason. But still unfortunate as just a baseball fan and baseball as a sport because he is just an electric player when he's healthy and on the field. The Dodgers have a decent rotation for now, assuming no one else gets hurt, not gone wood. So um, they look okay heading into the August, the last half of August in September. So that was our little weekly recap of the big news and just Dodger rotation questions, wild card, Yankees, Mets. Quick recap of the MLB baseball week. And this has been Sports All Day with TJ. I'm TJ. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends and family. It really helps us out. And... Go check out our other episodes. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.